seated. Take out your Bibles to Job chapter 1, and I will uh, read the whole chapter to you. As uh, This prologue, as it's called, is really uh, the, the text for the message, which is the praying dad, the praying dad. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But pour forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, the oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came yet also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. 
Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. That is the end of the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to you for this passage of scripture. For it is, Lord, very representative of our experiences, though maybe not to this nth degree that you have allowed one of your chosen people, one of your covenant children, to endure such afflictions as no one has ever seen since the beginning of, the t- of time, even to the end of time. Oh Lord, we come before you humbly in acknowledgement of your truth and asking, oh Lord, that the truth will set us free from those very things that we struggle with when, when evil comes upon our lives that is unexplainable like this. We ask your help, O Lord, that we may understand the scriptures and in understanding the scriptures may find comfort therein. In Jesus' name, amen. Praying dad. He was a real person. His name Job could mean in the Hebrew the persecuted one, or in Arabic, the repentant one. There's scripture proof uh, to his being a real person. For example, and I'll read you from Ezekiel 14:20. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall be delivered. They shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. And so Job is alongside someone that we know is real, Noah, and another that we know is real also, Daniel. And so that makes him real and not some figure, some type, some similitude of something else or someone else, such as in our study of the prodigal father who was not a real father, at least he was a parabolic father, but a picture of our Heavenly Father, as we learned about last week on Father's Day Part 1. In James, James says in, in verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And indeed he is. And indeed he, he was to Job. If you read the whole story, if you haven't read it before, you need to read it. And you will see that. Although it wasn't easy, he was indeed very pitiful to his servant, to his son, Job, and of tender mercy. Now the date... Job had a lifespan of 200 years plus. It can be discerned from his letter or his uh, uh, book. He lived in the patriarchal period, uh, which was the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
after the fall of Babel. Now the purpose of Job, and I'm just giving you this as a synopsis, Job recounts a challenging time in his life. This was just one episode, as it were, of his whole life. He lived a long, long life. And, and in this challenging time, he sees the hand of God testing his faith and how the character of God is revealed to him in ways that he would never know otherwise. He says, for example, in Job 13, uh, 15, this is a, a very good verse to look up, Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him, meaning my, my walk of faith and labor of love for the kingdom. Now, maybe when push comes to shove and he, and he reaches that point where, where the Lord is about to slay him, he might change his mind. I mean, that could happen, right? Just like uh, those who were, would be called to be martyrs. Like someone who was called to be a martyr who uh, at the last moment signed a recantation of his faith in order to be saved from destruction. And the Queen of England decided she's going to put him, she's going to, put him to death anyway. And, and you know what? He, his faith was restored. And he, and he says, give me one favor. And that is the hand that wrote that recantation would be first to go into the flame. And that's how he left this present life for glory. And this is what Job essentially was faced with. Only it would not be God slaying me as he maintained, but God slaying my children. What about them? What was Job? There are six things that we can see from this passage about the man. He was a godly man, it says in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect, upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. I remember teaching this uh, to the Sunday school kids, and I would say, uh, when they would ask, well, what does this chew mean? And I would say, chew it up and spit it out. <laughs> but he was blameless, but not sinless. As Job 9.20 tells us, where he confesses, if I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. He's the last one to claim sinlessness, but yet he was, in the eyes of God, blameless. He had what's called integrity of life and lip, of words and works, of doctrine and practice. In other words, his commitment to the Lord was such that he would live the Christian life to the fullest. God help him. This is Job. This is how it is. You can read, in this case, a book by its cover. You can read his life by the way of his deportment. He was a godly example, in other words, to his family. He pointed the way to God, not just by his teaching, but by his life. 
Job was a prolific father. It says in verse 2, And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. You ladies, if you have one, one, one baby, you know, or maybe two, or maybe three, you think, whoa, never again. <laughs> and I'm sure there were moments in, in, in Mrs. Uh, Job's life where she felt that way. But no, the Lord sustained her to have many more. And so this was a big household. Back then, they didn't have family planning. They had what uh, my grandmother used to call family planting. <laughs> and she lived in the country. Uh, she had 13 kids, by the way. <laughs> and she was married at a, at a mature age of 13 years old. And she came to faith in Christ when she came to America. At, the, at almost the same time that my sister came to faith, and shortly thereafter, I would come to Christ. My father came from a family of nine. No TV or other distractions back then. And you know also from a practical stand, standpoint how, how hard life is, and especially when you were poor, living on a ranch or on a farm, more kids meant more hands on deck, right? And Job was also what? A rich man, it says from the next verse, verse 3. It says his substance also was 7,000 sheep. Wow. 3,000 camels. 500 yoke of oxen. 500 she-asses. And a very great household, which of course we've already described. And so this man was the greatest of all the men of the, of the East, just in terms of the volume of what he possessed. Wealth was not measured in money or land necessarily or only. But back then, especially in livestock, because you know you got to eat, right? And there were no grocery stores that you can go to or any 7-Elevens that you can just pop in and get a you know, hot dog and, and uh, uh, whatever, a Slurpee, you know, like when we make our way back and forth from here to Yuma and back. It was the, the east, meaning east of Palestine, where, where life began, where uh, probably the creation, the Garden of Eden started, was. And, of course, uh, they were East Palestine, the promised land, the land of milk that flowed with milk and honey, was west of that. Like Solomon's wisdom and wealth, too, that was attested to, if you recall, by the Queen of Sheba, when she saw with her own eyes, Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the East country and all the wisdom of Egypt. How overwhelming that wisdom was and wealth. He built the temple that David yearned to build but could never do because he was a man of war and not of peace. But Job was monetarily more like the wee little man. You remember the wee little man, Z Zacchaeus? I won't sing the song. I'll spare you. <laughs> but in Luke 19, 2, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, tax collectors, you know, rip-off artists, white-collar criminals like what we have today. And he was rich. So rich, you, he didn't even know how much he had. Can you, can you be that rich where you don't even know what's in your account? Well, he was. Job was. But Job was a loving family man. Can you imagine that? He had all of this, and I'm sure he had to do all the clerical work, a lot of it anyway, uh, to keep up with, with, with all of what he owned of, of his ranch. He probably needed a state as big as Texas to have all, all of what he had. 
But you know what? He still had time for his family. He did not make the mistake that so many mistake of focusing upon the job. Yes, wife, you focus upon the home, the education of the children. I'll leave that to you, but I've got to be the breadwinner. Could have had that attitude, right? Like so many, like even any of us growing up in, in this culture. But no, he was a loving family man. It says in 4, And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Each of his seven boys had one day out of the seven days of the week to have the family come over. Um, it's like uh, what I encountered in the Philippines when I first met my, my wife. I know she, she knows I'm going to bring this up because it's true. <laughs> but every weekend, we would go to one of the siblings' houses. Everyone would congregate there. It doesn't matter how far you live. You could live, be living in, in Batangas, which is like three and four hours away by car, going through uh, the traffic of Manila to get to whoever the sibling is that's in Manila. But you know what? They did it. And yeah, there might be, a, there might be a, a one that would be late in traffic, but you know what? They, they'd wait for them, and then they would have a shindig. I mean, it was like every weekend. I couldn't believe this. I was so amazed by that, I said to myself, why didn't I grow up with this? You know? <laughs> well, Job had that. He had that. And why? And why? Because he was a loving leader and a godly example, and he created a warm and tender home environment for his family. That was more important to him than anything else. And you'll see it in the next fifth point, which can I say is most of all, most of all, Job was a praying dad. It says in five, and it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, they, they always made time for the word and prayer, that Job sent and sanctified them. Now, it's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies, actually, but this word has the meaning of set apart, meaning he set his family apart when it came time to eat, that's one thing we eat, right? And have fun. But when it's time to study the Word of God, uh-uh, everybody be seated. Everybody all come to the living room. We were in the dining room, now we come to the living room and have our Bible study. I knew a pastor up in, Oregon, in uh, Canada who trained his, he only had one, one child and one came later. He trained his son have that routine and I tell you it was just like clockwork and that little boy he's only like three or four yeah three years old he was reading the Bible and he was giving the closing prayer at the meals huh challenge huh <laughs> I'm sure that was the case here but let me continue on and rose up early in the morning and offered bird offerings according to the number of them all seven for Job said it may be that my sons have sinned and curse God in their hearts. You can't read their heart, right? Only God can. Thus did Job continually. Job continued to exercise spiritual responsibility over his household, over his children, even when they were grown up, married, and had their own families. Job was the priest, in other words, of his household. He truly exercised the role of a patriarch, much like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And like Noah, 
he was a priest in his own home. It says in Genesis 8.20 how Noah was a priest in his own home. After the flood, do you think that, 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 that when they landed on terra firma, that that was, that was the end of the flood? Oh, no. That wasn't the end of the flood because the reason for the flood was very much on the heart and mind of Noah. And, and this is what he first did once he got off of the ark. This is the first, numero uno. You'll read it in Genesis 8.20. Genesis 8.20. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. You know where his mind is at, don't you? Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings unto the Lord. The burnt offering is the one offering that is consumed entirely. And it shows how we need to be consumed for God. We need to be burnt up. Our life needs to be burnt up for God. Christ says, if any man will follow me and forsaketh not his life, he cannot be my disciple. Don't kid yourself in thinking that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ if you're not willing to give up all. And that includes all of those besetting sins, all those little small things that you like to cling to, like uh, Rachel, remember? She hid these idols underneath her saddle, right? So that her father couldn't find them because she was still in a sanctification process, you know, even though she was married to a godly man in Jacob. And that's how we all are. Hiding our little trinkets, our little idols, you know from the eyes of God. But God can see it. Who are we kidding? Right? God can see it all. Well, this was not Noah, and this was not Job. And it's for the sins of his adult sons. Yes, we have a role. Like, I have two adult sons. I, I have a role yet to play. I, I mean, I'm not telling them what to do anymore like I used to. Sometimes I'd like to. In fact, I started to tell one of my sons what to do about about uh, his business decisions, and he's immediately cut it off. <laughs> and I said, uh, amen. <laughs> uh, but he was concerned for them. He was concerned for their hearts. He was concerned for the one uh, bastion of, 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 of our life that only God can get into. Not even a loving dad can get into, but he can pray. He could pray that God could invade their, their lives and enter into their lives and into their hearts most of all. And he did. And we, and we have also one other thing to consider, and that is Satan. Sin and Satan. Those are our, our chief enemies. Sin, Satan, and the world. Yes, they are our enemies. And so uh, Satan, and I won't read this passage, this part of the passage, we read it already from 6 to 12, talks all about it. But in verse 6, it says, now, there was a day when the sons of God, and those are not necessarily believers that are in heaven, but probably angelic beings, okay? You can look that up. You can study that. I've done that before. Take my word for it at this point. So, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So there was Satan and his minions, or his demons. And, um, and that is also another reason why Job prayed for his sons and daughters. 
Like Noah and Abraham before him, Job looked for the coming of Christ. Those animal sacrifices were never an end in themselves. Even as the Bible says in Hebrews 9, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, that was all a type, those animal sacrifices. And likewise, what Job did every day. He had plenty of resources, mind you, but nevertheless, he sacrificed the best for the Lord. And it says that he looked forward to the coming of Christ. Look at Job 19.25. You think Christ is not in this book? Here he is. Look at Job 19. Verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. I'll stop there because I'm going to read this again later at the end. So he knows that his Redeemer, his Savior, who is Jesus Christ, although he doesn't know him by name yet, but he knows that the Redeemer is coming, and he will come in this case, the second time, because that is representing when he will meet him in glory in heaven. So he believed in the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. So if he believed in the second coming, wouldn't he also believe in the first coming? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because it requires that Christ come the first time as Savior before he can come the second time as judge and as the ultimate eschatological redeemer his people. And last but not least, Job had a consistent testimony for them to look up to in their dad, their grandpa, and their great-grandpa, and maybe even great-great-grandpa, in the phrase, thus did Job continually. He knew him like clockwork. In fact, his enemies knew him like clockwork, so they knew where he was at certain times of the day when he would rise up early in the morning and when he'd lay his head down at night. Lastly, Job was a trusting son of God. Job entrusted the life and welfare of his household to God. That's what the last segment of chapter 1 prologue is about from verses 13 to 19, which you can read again. One day God took away his earthly riches, his oxen, his asses, his sheep, his camels, and his servants that managed all of them for him, all except four that were saved in order to report to him what had happened to his prized earthly possessions. But if it was not enough, God took from Job his most prized earthly possession of all his children his children in verse 19 and behold there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead and I only am escaped alone to tell thee how did Job take this latest news 
I mean, the first three were bad enough. I mean, imagine your whole empire, your whole uh, uh, life work, life's work and savings, uh, both savings and, 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 uh, and debit and, and, and investments, all of that just goes up in a vapor of smoke. Imagine, imagine that. And yet that's what happened. And yet, and what made it worse was that what that was all for. That was not all for him, like many a rich man. That was all for them. And they're gone. And so, what do you have to live for? And you would think, in this situation, I wonder if I would probably become suicidal or at least entertain some thoughts along those lines. Wouldn't you? We think we have bad. Stop and think how others have it. The Bible says, there is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. There's such people out there like Job who've gone through far worse so that you can take comfort in the fact that you're not as bad as them and that you're not alone in going through what you're going through. And not only that, that God is with you. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 3, 13. Promise verse. Promise verse. Then Job rose and rent his mantle, that was his clothes, and shaved his head and fell down on the ground and worshiped God. Reminds me of David when he was mourning for his sick son that was of Bathsheba, who was an, uh, 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 is not his wife. Was not his wife. Nevertheless, he was a faithful covenant father and praying for that child. But then, when the child died, what happened? He stopped praying because you can't pray for the dead. And then, when his uh, his uh, men came around to ask. Uh, what's going on? His counselors will come and ask him, are you okay? Why are you washed and, and worshiping God and praising God right now? Your son just died. Because I know that my Redeemer liveth. And I know that my child is in the arms of the Lord. And one day, I will go to see him. Although he can't come back to me, I will go to him. That was the attitude of, of Job. He submitted to the sovereignty of God. He said in verse 21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked I shall return thither. The Lord gave. The Lord not, has taken away the most prized thing in my life, next to my own life. What do I live for? No, he didn't say that. He said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And if he takes my life, blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what he said. That's what he thought. That's how, what he felt. That's how he lived. That's how he spoke. And he did not sin by charging God foolishly. Meaning he did not charge God with wrongdoing. God is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's like a hymn uh, that was uh, written by a man named Cooper who suffered terribly with uh, depression. It, it, he was a child of God. He served God in the ministry, and yet he suffered depression like Spurgeon. 
uh, Charles Spurgeon that you're all familiar with. But you know what? Through this, these trials and tribulations came from his pen and from his heart hymns that you would never see otherwise, like Job in the Bible. He wrote, for example, one hymn. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust in him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. It may not be in this life. It may be in the next, but he will make it plain to you and to I who trust in him. In conclusion, like Job, God is testing your faith and mine. That's what he's doing every day. Every day we're, we're being tested. It's like my, my wife when she uh, homeschools our, our grandson now. And he's at the point now where he goes through these victory drills. And no sooner, first thing in the morning that she says victory drill, he's right there ready and he's reciting and, uh, as fast as he can in one minute or a minute and a half his victory drill. <laughs> God is testing your faith and mine. In Job 23.10, it speaks about that. It speaks to that. Job 23.10 But he knoweth the way that I take, God. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as what? Gold. I will come forth as gold. Like Peter in 1 Peter 1, 6-9 echoes almost word for word, not quite, it, it says a lot more but expands upon this, how God is going to enable me to come forth like gold. In 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold, that is many, many temptations or trials, tests, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the fulfillment of faith, the fulfillment of faith is even the salvation of your souls. When you will see Jesus face to face and faith will not matter anymore because you see him through your eyes, you see? You see him in his flesh. You see his face. He sees yours as he always has. And you recognize your Savior. And you are with your Savior safely his arms forever and ever. Trials are to strengthen your faith, to increase your joy, to give you every possible assurance that you are your beloved's and that he is yours. That's what it's all about. As Job would say, and I'll close with this, and this is from that part I started uh, 
I started to read with verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yes, worms crawl in, worms crawl out. That's right, kids. <laughs> that happens. Yet in my flesh, in this physical body, as the Lord glorifies this physical body and makes it like unto his resurrection body, I will see him in my flesh. I will see God with my own eyes, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me for the time being, anyway. For you who believe, does your faith continue to be in him who has come? has died and has risen again, has ascended his glory, who sits now at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the world in righteousness. And though you as a Christian may never know the reasons for why you go through the trials that you do, maybe some trials right now that uh, are, are daunting, trials that you can't wrap your, 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 your mind around, because it's so daunting, it's so overwhelming that you have anxiety attacks. I know someone that I've uh, been ministering to online who has uh, admitted that she's being uh, attacked by anxiety. And, uh, and I know that's very difficult, but you know what? I gave her and, and the rest of the class uh, four things. And, and what they are is, uh, first, uh, be full of care for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So prayer is first. Second is the word. Uh, therefore, brethren, uh, whatsoever things are true and honest and just and good, things that are lovely, things that are of good report, think on these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. And then the third thing is to remember that the one who you pray to is the one who loves you and who will care for you. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And then fourthly, my senior moment has overcome me, so I cannot give that to you, but I will text it to you instead <laughs> at the appropriate time. So though you as a Christian may never know the reasons for why you may suffer in this life, do you still trust in God as your sovereign and heavenly Father. Is your faith in your sovereign and heavenly Savior. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, how we thank you for Father's Day as it is an occasion to embark upon a topical or thematic message that uh, is suitable, Lord, for the occasion of our lives that we are celebrating, and in this case, fathers, and Lord, how how faithful and loving and prayerful this Father is. Such an exemplary man of God to be commended, Lord, to all fathers to imitate. Finally, that as he imitates Christ, that we would imitate Christ. And so, Lord, hear us, we pray, as we lift up to you uh, all fathers everywhere and their families, their wives, the mothers of their children, Lord, we show how much we love our children by how much we love their mother. Help us, Lord, to that end.